The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. If you have a Bible, uh, we are in Luke, at the very end of Luke chapter 5. If you do not, uh, there are ones on the front, up front uh, on the table up front, but all the verses will be on the screen, uh, screens behind me. So um, just so you're aware, one of the things we do is um, as we work through passages together. If you have questions, that's the number that goes straight to my phone. You can send questions to that. That's not to say that you can't raise your hand and ask questions, but if it just removes a level of intimidation that you want to, you have a thought, you have a question, you're like, I disagree with that, or I'd like to hear more about that. And you want to ask that, but this is a room of people that you either don't know, or you don't want to speak in front of no big deal. You can text them. It comes straight to me. Um, so that's, that's what that is there for. So, um, that being said, um, we are going to turn to Luke. I've got a little bit of some feedback up here with mine. Um, Luke 5. So, we're going to continue to walk through the ministry and life of Jesus. Luke chapter uh, 5, verses 33, uh, down to Luke 6, verse 11. I'm going to read these for us. We're going to pray, and then we'll, again, visit them as we work through the passage together. So here's Jesus going about his business, and they here are the Pharisees and scribes. And they said to him, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. Jesus said to them, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece of a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece of the old new uh, wineskin will not match the old. And the one and no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, The new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But the new wine must be put into fresh wine skins. And no one, one, after drinking old wine, desires new, for he says, the old is good. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? And he he and those who were with him, how they entered the house of God and took and ate from the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with them. And he said to them, the son of man is the Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogues and was teaching it with him. He and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath, so they so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, "Come and stand here." And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to him, "I ask you, is it lawful?" on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it. And after looking at them all, he said to him, 
stretch out your hand. And he did so, and the hand was restored. And they, were, and they, that's the scribes and the Pharisees, were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Father, as we look at your word this morning, we ask that you would help us to see Jesus more clearly, to understand the purpose of these religious experiences of fasting and Sabbath, but most importantly, that we would experience the restoring presence of Jesus. And if he clarifies for us, your heart for us. So it's in his name we pray. Amen. I begin to lose uh, track because I know I tend to kind of circle around some of the similar um, illustrations or kind of ideas. But have I, I think I've talked about the idea of mission creep. Is mission creep familiar for you guys? Do you know that term, the idea of mission creep? So mission creep is this idea that you have one thing that's, that you're committed to doing as an organization or personally. And there's a lot of good ideas that are similar to it. And if you start doing those good things that aren't the main thing, you kind of lose focus. So, for example, I'm on the board here at the Hope Center. You think about the purpose of the Hope Center here is to help people find and maintain their recovery. Like that is the laser focus of what the Hope Center does. Now, if you're familiar with the, rec- the nature of recovery and addiction here in our, even just in our city, what's the overlap between uh, the, the need for helping people find recovery and the homelessness situation? They're pretty close. Or the homelessness situation and mental health needs, they're pretty close. And mental health needs and homelessness with uh, affordable housing. You, those are all very good things. And the Hope Center, we could probably, you know, what what's justified? What's bring somebody on to help us work um, to help people get out of experiencing homelessness? Okay, that's great. We, we bring somebody on staff as a Hope Center well, that, because that's connected to helping them get into recovery. And you can kind of keep following that line down. And then suddenly for the organization here, the Hope Center, our budget is filled with mental health staff, uh, people helping uh, others get out of homelessness. And now we the mission has creeped away from being laser-focused on recovery, right? So that's kind of the main idea, that mission creep is easy to happen. It happens all the time. The reason I bring that up is because we're talking about the Pharisees here. And if we come to the Pharisees and we think, we just kind of out of hand think, well, you know, like when you watch a James Bond movie, or I'm sorry, I, I, not James Bond, um, we watch like uh, Indiana Jones movie. Like, you've got either, like, communists or Nazis that he's working against, right? <laughs> and we kind of look at these guys, and we're kind of like, these are, like, the big baddies of the, of the New Testament. But if we come to the New Testament with a little bit more understanding that the Pharisees have really kind of given into mission creep, we understand what's going on more clearly with Jesus and his interactions with them. So I want to kind of just give you a, a brief, you know, bio on the Pharisees. So I don't know if, you, if you've ever read the Old Testament, but the Old Testament basically ends with everybody that was in God's family, they disobeyed God, he got tired of it, and he kicked them out of the house. That's basically the way the Old Testament ends, right? They get kicked out of the promise, it's called the promised land, that's what I'm calling God's house, right? They get kicked out of the promised land, they get taken over and sent far away, and after, 400, and after a period of time there, they come back eventually into the promised land, under the rulership of various different kind of kings and countries. And they're there for 400 years in what's called the intertestamental period, if you want to know your big Bible word for today. Um, they set up shop with new places of worship. And there, there's a bit of like, if, if any of you have ever kind of had like um, 
like a situation where you need to like change a course of life and you have like an overreaction sort of thing. They're like, look, we got kicked out of this place because we broke God's law, like really bad. So now in order to avoid doing that, we are now just going to make sure that we keep God's law to the nth degree. God says to keep the Sabbath. We're going to make sure that there's no possible way that we could ever break the Sabbath. God says to not commit adultery. We're going to make sure there's all these different rules and regulations for how you do relationships so that nobody ever gets close to that. So they set up all of these extra rules and patterns around God's law, basically to make sure, look, we screwed this up once. We don't want to get kicked out again. That's basically the Pharisees. And they're like, look, we're going to steward this. We're make sure we're going to keep on focus. We're make sure we don't break God's law. So just see that that's kind of like where the Pharisees are coming from. And if you're thinking through like, how do you see this in movies today? Like you think of like, I, I, my mind goes to like Star Wars. Sorry. But like, I, all right, I have to be careful. I don't want to ruin any movies for anybody. Okay. So I'm just going to kind of like very gently touch this. Luke Skywalker and the latest trilogy. He kind of loses his way and Ray, the character comes in and kind of confronts him about how he has mission creep lost his way. That's how Jesus is in this story. Jesus comes in and confronts the Pharisees who lost their way. Well intended. Like, I, I don't want to give the Pharisees a totally bad rap. They really had good intentions of like, we want to keep God's law and keep us on point, but they lost their way and they'd really kind of calcified around that. And Jesus comes in and says, guys, you've lost your way. We really are here to love God and to experience his renewing presence. So in this passage, all that is just trying to help us understand. When we get to this passage, we're talking about fasting and Sabbath. Fasting is a big deal because later in the book of Luke, we're going to see that the Pharisees fasted twice a week. So if you think fasting for one day is hard, they did it like uh, Mondays and Fridays type thing. 24-hour fast every week of the year. So that was hardcore. Um, so it's big time, like everybody knew the Pharisees fast. So when Jesus interacts with that, it's a big deal. We're going to look at some of the laws around the Sabbath. So when I say Sabbath, by the way, I mean, for them, it would have been sundown Friday to sundown Saturday, but basically a full day devoted to God. That's kind of the idea. So we're all cool. Now, main point we're going to look at this morning, and we're going to kind of, then we're going to start working through the passage. The main point is that we experience renewal when we see the clarity Jesus brings to God's ancient way. That's the main point where we're looking at this morning. That's what Jesus does through these various kind of religious things. So the first thing we want to look at is that Jesus clarifies our yearning for God. Verse 33 to 39. He said, and, and they said to him, now as I was saying earlier, the Pharisees, this is basically kind of like their kind of posse talking to Jesus. The disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours eat and drink. So here's the first interaction we want to interact with here, and then we'll kind of drop down to the second one briefly. And Jesus said to them, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come. When the bridegroom is taken away from them, and they will fast in those days. So let's pause there. We'll pick up with the parable in a second. Basically, if anybody here has ever been to a wedding, I'm, I'm, I feel like if you haven't been, you understand what I mean when I say a wedding is a party, generally. Um, 
you show up to a wedding, maybe it's catered. There's always food, right? I mean, it's a time to feast. And in the ancient world, the, there was like a feasting and then the bridegroom comes in to the, to the feasting hall and then things get lit. You know, the, the DJs, you know, he's dropping the needle, like things go crazy because it's like all the best food. Here we go. I mean, they didn't have sushi, but you know what I mean? Like, you know, all the good food comes out here. This is a time to feast. The bridegroom, the wedding is about to happen, right? We're celebrating this. So the time leading up to that or, you know, just regular life is just kind of humdrum food or no food or food here or there. And Jesus picks up on this and say, look, the purpose of fasting, what's the purpose of fasting? It's basically, it's a physical way of saying to your body, there's something I'm yearning for that I don't have right now. Or there's something that I'm yearning for that I want my body to help me remember I'm looking forward to that. So like anybody's ever skipped a meal, right? Anybody doing like, you know, you skip breakfast or something like that, right? Let's say you're doing like a diet plan, right? And you're like, I'm skipping breakfast because I'm trying to lose weight. So I'm just going to eat lunch and dinner. And your body is telling you, bro, it is time to eat. (laughs) And you're reminded every time you feel hungry, I'm here to lose weight, not to stuff my face with whatever. (laughs) I want that. So the physical part of fasting is so that your heart and your body match in this one direction towards desire. And Jesus is saying, the purpose of this whole fast thing that you guys do religiously is to desire God himself and desire the things of God. So there's a part of it where it's just like there's that illustration, but I, I don't want to drop into this too much, but Jesus is also critiquing their fasting because he has in his mind Isaiah 58. So can we just kind of bump through these verses real quick? I just want to show you, Jesus is going to kind of go after this later in the book of Luke. Um, there should be Isaiah 58 here after a slide or two. Why have you fasted and you see it not? Have you, why have you, we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the days of your fast, you seek your own pleasures and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Now, we'll go to the next slide here. You see, this is God critiquing somebody, their the religious fast in the, in the uh, Old Testament time where it had mission creep diverted into, well, God says that we're accepted with him if we fast and we prove that we love him. And God's saying like, bro, just skipping a meal ain't the purpose of the fast. What's the purpose of a fast? Is this not the fast that God, that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke? To let the oppressed go free and to drink and to break every yoke is not to is it not to share your bread with the hungry to bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own flesh and we'll end with the finals then you then your light shall break forth like the dawn your healing shall bring, spring up speedily your righteousness shall go before you the glory of the Lord shall be your right here your rear geared guard see what God is pointing out here is that the purpose of fasting is to realign your desires. And God's desire, let me go back a slide there. Your, your God's desire is what? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, to break every yoke, to share your bread with the hungry, to bring in the homeless poor in your house, and to cover the naked. Right? I don't know what you want to call that politically, but God's purposes is to bring life and renewal to people. 
And so when we fast, sometimes that's I skip a meal so I can give a meal away. Sometimes I fast from clicking buy to another thing on Amazon so that I can you know, help other people around me, give my money to support them. But the primary, th primary thing is that it's not just to do a religious duty, to do another religious thing. The primary function of a fast is to teach your heart with whatever kind of physical discomfort that experiences. I want to be like God. God, I, I want my desires to be like yours. That's the purpose of the fast. So, what, all right, we're going to, I feel like I can get easily drawn into the weeds here. So if I get off on a tangent, somebody just raise a red flag and say, hey, Jay, you get back. Okay, so let's pick up here. This is kind of the second thing that he critiques here. And he also told them this parable. No one tears a piece of a new garment and puts it on the old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine in old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins and will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed, and the new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. Verse 39. And no one after drinking old wine desires new, for he says the old is good. Okay. I want to be upfront. There are two different readings of this passage. I'm going to tell you one. I'm going to argue my personal one for the second. The first one is basically there's these new old wineskins, new wineskins. The idea being old wine uh, has matured. It goes, it's in old wineskins that doesn't stretch. Um, and that the verse ends, verse 39, is that it tastes good. The new wine is still fermenting, so it's got yeast in it, so it, it needs fresh wine skin so that it can, it can uh, stretch with the fermentation. Um, it's uh, new uh, wine skin, so it's still got some work to do, and um, it doesn't, the verse doesn't end with it being tasting better. Uh, I don't know if anybody here has ever done homebrewing. I realize we're in a re recovery center, so talking about alcohol is a bit touch and go. So... <laughs> Uh, but the idea being, if you've ever had uh, wine that's not fully fermented, it doesn't taste as good as the, as the stuff that's fully fermented out. So one reading of this is to say, Jesus is still doing a new thing, and you can't put all, you know, the Pharisees and Old Testament practices onto the, onto the new thing that Jesus is doing because it will be destroyed. This is all new stuff that Jesus is doing. Personally, I think what Jesus is doing here is saying, verse 39, when he says, and no one after drinking old wine desires new, for he says the old is good. Jesus has been at pains through his whole ministry, and Luke, the way the ministry, uh, the gospel of Luke gets set up, Jesus is the realization of what God's always been doing. So Jesus is identifying with the old good ways of God in the Old Testament. God's gracious, good, life-giving, life-preserving ways and what he's doing, and this is what really ticks off the Pharisees, is he's saying, you guys are new wine and new wineskins that are going to be destroyed by trying to latch on to, to saying that you belong to God's purposes. You guys are new. Your interpretations are novel. You guys don't know what you're talking about. I am making sure that people realize the good old ways of God. You can go with that any way you want, but Jesus is saying Point, his point is to say the purpose of all of this religious stuff, the fasting, is to realign your heart with God, not, not with your new novel thing that you're trying to do, whatever that is. All right, I'm getting off topic here. So 
the point being here, the whole purpose of this book, Old Testament to New Testament, is to direct us to experience and see Jesus for who he is and to be renewed by his life-giving presence. Okay, are you guys tracking with me? I feel like we're kind of getting the weeds. We're cool. We're going to move on. I know that's like a tag phrase. People will make fun of me for like, you guys cool? I'm like, no, just making sure we're all moving along, processing the past together. We're going to pick up here in verse 1 of chapter 6. So Jesus clarifies our yearning for God. Our yearning for God isn't realized through practices. It is... It, uh, or, or isn't measured by our practices. Our yearning for God is experienced through Jesus Himself. Secondly, we're going to see verse uh, chapter six or verse one to eleven. Jesus clarifies our life in God. Okay, on a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, the disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said. Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any of the priests to eat, but also gave it to those who were with him? And he said to them, The Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Now, the Sabbath becomes a bigger deal here. We're going to have two interactions about the Sabbath. We're going to pause here for a second, and we'll get to the second one in a minute. The Sabbath really was kind of like one of the big deals out of the Old Testament. It, it marked God's people as being separate because God's people didn't work all the time and provide it for them, themselves and then make time to go worship their gods in various places. They had a weekly rhythm, six days work, one day off. It was really important. It was an identity marker. Um, in the way that, for example, our culture is basically built around like um, Judeo-Christian values of like you have Saturdays for folks who are of the Jewish faith. You have Sundays for people who are of the Christian faith. Um, it would be similar for as we've gotten to know our friends who are Islamic in our neighborhoods. They have Fridays off as their day off. And that's just like you have to kind of reorient to like days off. And OK, that's their day. It was a marker. It was what they were known for. So when Jesus goes after this. He's picking up on some Old Testament stuff that the Pharisees are going after as well. So can we throw up a couple of these verses here? I just want to, I just want to give you some of the, the biblical background to some of what's going on here. So Exodus, I think Exodus um, should be a few slides over here. This is from the Ten Commandments, right? This is the, this is the, the original one. Uh, remember the, seventh, the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor, do all your work. On the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord. That's all we've said thus far. The, and it ends here. Therefore, the Lord, for the six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. That's the critical part to pick up on. Therefore, the Lord blessed the seventh day and made holy. Now, let's go over to Deuteronomy. This is where Moses is preaching on the Ten Commandments. And he says, observe the seventh day and keep it holy. As the Lord your God commanded you, six days you shall labor, right? This is all very familiar. Uh, you shall remember that you were enslaved in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath, right? These are big top 10 commandments. And you'll notice, how do they end? Like, they end with God saying, I created the world and paused on one day. I, I made all of life and paused to enjoy it on one day in the original week, he says. And then he says in Deuteronomy 5, I saved you out of enslavement and oppression. 
And I saved you so that you didn't have to grind yourself out for me like you did for those Egyptian gods. I saved you so that you can enjoy my presence with you. Do you pick up on the life-giving purpose there? So when all the Old Testament stuff kind of gets built up around that, the purpose is to receive this invitation of God into his life-giving and life-renewing presence. So here we go. In these verses, verses 1 to 5, Jesus is basically citing this Old Testament situation where, where David goes in the temple, takes the bread for the priests, and gives it to his people. He does what's technically not lawful in the Old Testament, and he should have died, right? Should have been killed for that. And yet it's done as a way of saying the priority of God's purposes for the Sabbath is so that you experience God's renewing presence. That's the purpose of that whole situation with David, is that David should have been killed for that. You know, it's kind of like, well, was he the king? So, like, he got away with it? Yeah, well, David didn't get away with other things, even though he was the king. God's purpose with giving us a Sabbath, he says here, is to restore life, to renew life. So Jesus ends. I don't know, did anybody else, when you read this, verse 5, and he said to them, the son of the man, son of man is the Lord of the Sabbath. You read that and you're kind of like, I know that's a Bible term, but okay. Like it just doesn't make sense to you right off the, right off the bat. Like it's just not obvious. Like what is the, the Lord of the Sabbath? Okay, we're going to get some clarity on that here in the next few verses. Verse 6 to 10. And another Sabbath, right? And they're put together like this so that you see what Luke is trying to tell us about Jesus through these two stories. He entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. Right, so here's a, I'm not sure what withered means in the sense of like, of, of by maybe it was a deformity like that he was born with, maybe it was a work accident where his hand was crushed. It was basically like this guy didn't have the right hand that was usable in one way or the other. And he and the scribes and the Pharisees were watching him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. So that Jesus knows that he's walking into a loaded room. And he knew their thoughts. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? So you see here how Jesus is really drawing after them. Look, this is the point of what's going on with the Sabbath, right? What's the point of the Sabbath? Is it to do harm or to do good? Is it to help or to hurt? Jesus is going after him on this. And after looking around at them, he said to him, stretch out your right hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. Now, we'll get to verse here, 11 here in a second. But what Jesus is doing here is, this guy's hand was maimed in some way or the other. But according to the Pharisaical law, it was not a necessary heal. Like if somebody was bleeding out in the temple, they would know, okay, we got to save this person's life because it's critical. This guy's about to die. But if somebody walked in and was kind of like, hey, like I broke my arm and I can't provide for my family, they'd be like, come back tomorrow, bro. We can't do any work here. This is Sunday. We don't do, we don't do work on church on Sunday or whatever, Saturday. Jesus intentionally basically pulls a guy out of the crowd who doesn't need a necessary healing to exist, right? He could still exist with a, with a withered hand, broken hand. 
pulls him up and says, here's an unnecessary healing that I'm going to do to underline the point. Do you pick up here in verse Verse 9, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or destroy it? And do you remember when we looked at Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, the emphasis of God in setting up the Sabbath was what? I want to weekly remind you, I made everything, and it's good for us. It's good for you. I've made this for us to enjoy. And then the other part, I saved you to enjoy my presence. So when you have those two kind of ideas in your mind, and then you look at somebody in need and say to them, ah, you know what? Sorry, it doesn't meet, doesn't meet the qualifications for, I mean, I think we all get kind of frustrated with the bureaucracy of anything. You know, you, you try to file medical benefits or anything like that today. And it's like, I, I thought I paid for health insurance to help me with stuff. And it just seems like I'm paying for, you know, something to completely frustrate me and make me want to do mean things. <laughs> You know, here Jesus is saying the purpose of God with the Sabbath is to give life and renew it. And what Jesus is doing here when he says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath, he is saying, look, I am here to reinterpret and to redirect and to govern God's life-giving purposes among us. That's what Jesus is doing here. So when Jesus says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath there in verse 5, Right, He is basically saying, as the Lord of the Sabbath, I am the one who renews and gives God's presence among us, gives God's grace to you, who is the source of comfort and renewal. Right, we, I think that we have this struggle still, because honestly, the Pharisees, you understand what they're going after, right? Hey, we want to make sure that we don't get kicked out of the land again. We want to make sure that we remain faithful to God. We want to make sure that we obey God, that we, that we follow God. So here's all these practices that we're going to do. They're fine and good practices with clear biblical Bible verses and all that stuff. But they lost their way. How many of us have had experiences with religious communities where it's, you know, to be a Christian is you do X, Y, Z, you know, you vote a certain way, you dress a certain way, you talk a certain way, you read certain books, you watch certain movies, you, you do or do not drink, you do this or don't do this. There's, I mean, you can go down the list. I mean, basically, you know, you, you parent a certain way. If you're a family, men and women do certain things like you go down the list and everything is just kind of micromanage to the nth degree because there's lots of Bible verses that then get kind of brought in to say, hey, you know what? That's what the Bible says. Yeah, but does it? The Bible's not always so clear on all those things because the point is not that we get to practice that. The point is that we get God's presence. And that's what Jesus is driving us towards. And ultimately, that's why the Pharisees feel, verse 11, And uh, as he did so, I'm sorry, and there they were, filled with fury and disgust with one another, what they might do to Jesus, verse 11. They realized that their goose was cooked. They realized, bro, if Jesus is right and we don't need to be the HR department for religious practice, (laughs) for people's spiritual life, they had no purpose in being what they were doing what they were doing. And they're like, well, you know what? It's either my job and our faith, our definition of what it means to be faithful to God or Jesus. And this is right where things begin to start going 
And this is where things start moving towards Jesus' crucifixion. I mean, can you imagine watching somebody's hand be healed and thinking that this violates what God wants for us? And so much so that you want to murder the person that did the healing? I just It's just bizarre to me. But I'm sure that if we were to kind of think through, we might not feel murderous, but I'm sure if we were to kind of think through, you know what, I've always thought that Christians should fill in the blank. And unless there's like a clear Bible verse about it, like that's moving us in the direction of Pharisees who were well-intended, but have mission creeped away from the main thing. All right. Do you guys mind if we kind of end here with, a, I want to give a few thoughts on Sabbath and fasting. Are you guys cool with that? Because the pastor's talked about it. So I want to give a few thoughts on it. How are we doing on time? All right. A few minutes. You cool? All right. I want to bring up Hebrews 4. Now, I'm not going to get into like New Testament, Sabbath, and all that stuff. But I'm trying to pull out some ideas here. Hebrews 4, 9 to 16. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the vision of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him who must give, um, to whom we must give an account. To the next slide. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. We don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy, find grace to help in time of need. There's a lot going on in this passage. What he does here in, in Hebrews 4 is say, God wants us to rest in him because he's not finished renewing things. And the way in which we do that is by going to Jesus for grace and mercy amidst our life together. That, that's, the, that's the basic swoop of what's going on here in, in Hebrews 4. It is ultimately Sabbath and fasting are both invitations to experience our desires for wholeness, for renewal, for life, for peace, for comfort, for healing, for justice. You go down the list, and yet again, all, always and ever, you find a match in Jesus. The purpose of all of these religious practices, even here in Hebrews 4, is to come to Jesus. That's, it's not, you notice Hebrews 4, it says, there remains a Sabbath for us to do, to experience, and the purpose of that, that Sabbath, beeline to Jesus. So what I want to say here, you notice, again, in Jesus' illustration, he says, while the bridegroom's here, you don't fast. And when the bridegroom goes away, you do fast. So bridegroom's not, I mean, unless one of you is Jesus. No? Okay. So um, we're going to have some type of practices that help redirect our, our life and love for Jesus that are going to experience some type of fasting, food, whatever it is. And unless one of you is Jesus, okay, we've all established that nobody here is Jesus, we need to have a regular practice of setting aside time to experience renewal and rest in Jesus. Lord of the Sabbath, 
here with us by the Holy Spirit, not in person. Let me throw out a quote here from uh, Ruth Haley Barton, and then I'll give a few kind of thoughts on what practice, these practices can look like. She talks about Sabbath. Sabbath keeping is the primary discipline that helps us live within the limits of our humanity and honor God as our creator. It is, key, it is the key to a life lived in sync with the rhythms that God himself built into our world. What she's picking up on here is that a part of the purpose of a Sabbath, of a rest, is that we experience the limitations of what it means to be human and to experience the grace and mercy that God gives us in his design for how he wants to renew and refresh us. So I, I think I put a slide of some questions, Mary. I, I think the, the, there we go. So here's just a few thoughts on resting and fasting practices. I'll throw out what I did last year for Lent. We're, by the way, and if you're not familiar with the church calendar, uh, Lent starts this Wednesday. Have you guys ever heard of Mardi Gras down, from down south? Like that's this weekend. I grew up down south. It's an irony of all ironies, <laughs> what Mardi Gras is compared to what it's supposed to do. So, okay. Um, Lent starts this Wednesday, but here's a few questions and we'll kind of orbit around these. What are ways that I can meaningfully pause to acknowledge and receive God's grace and goodness? So this is kind of in that Sabbath direction. What does it look like for me to pause, to have a, a, a life shift? So in the Old Testament, that was framed as you work for six days, you didn't work for a seventh day to recognize you received from God, which you would have provided for yourself in those six days. So what does it look like to meaningfully pause and acknowledge, to acknowledge and receive God's grace and goodness? What does it look like? I mean, maybe that is Sunday morning church. I think that's great. What does it look like for you to pause and just receive? Right? And that doesn't have to be some big kind of like orchestrated religious thing. It can even just be, I'm going to pause and stare at the sky for 10 seconds today. I'm telling you, the science is there. That helps clear up some mental health struggles for sure. Don't just pause. Maybe extend it by 20 seconds and do it for 30 seconds. Just going to stare and receive. This sky with the sun that is how many billions of miles away sends light into our atmosphere to design to stimulate my brain so that I experience relief and comfort that is god's world that he's designed for you to experience i'm not saying these have to be like radically like read your bible in the next week sort of thing these are just recognizing this is god's world that he's designed for you to experience and to be cared for so that's just one idea i, I promise I, i'm not going to i don't get into like managing what you do what are things that to help me experience renewal in life in god's world now that may be i want to read god's word I want to, you know, there's, um, let's see. If you read three chapters a day, you can read through all the epistles of Paul in the next month or so. If you read five chapters of the Psalms a day, you can read through the Psalms in a month. If you read one a day, you will have read through the Bible in three or four years. I, I don't care. You do whatever you want. Maybe the Bible's a part of that, but I framed it like this. What are things that help me experience renewal and life in God's world? Because... Maybe you just need to go out and do a hike. <laughs> you know, maybe, I mean, it, we're, we're on the backside of winter, but I mean, I'm just saying, going outside is a big plus, right? I mean, God made it, it's free, you know? Like, what, is it, what are things that rock climbing, hiking, going to a concert, going 
to you know a, a recovery meeting here. They just had uh, addicted to talent here last night. You know, doing a community event, going on a walk. I don't know, talking to a friend. If you have a, a dog, taking your dog for. I'm, can you take a cat for a walk? You know, like, but. God's world, what, what are things that renew you? And then do those on your day, your rest, your Sabbath day, whatever it is. Like, do those things as a way of saying, you know what? I am only human. So I want to make sure that I experience renewal. And then when you've taken your dog, for, you don't even have to, you, you don't have to listen to a Christian podcast. You don't have to listen to a sermon. You don't have to listen to worship music. You can listen to whatever you want. At the end of it, just say, God, thank you. To receive God's goodness and care for you, right? I'm not trying to make this, overly spiritual i'm trying to like ground our spirituality so that it's rooted in our bodies what are habits that i've acquired that distract my desires from being renewed in god's grace and world this is a part of the fasting category i will say as i've always said this thing is like the worst thing for me what does it look like to say i'm going to i'm going to cut off some of my use of my phone maybe it is food like i need to say i want food i want to give up food for a uh, a day. I was about to say a week. Like, please, if you do that, let me know. I'll pray for you. <laughs> but you know, what is a way that you can say I've developed a habit that I just need to kind of check? You know, in the, in previous years, um, I used to give up alcohol for Lent. I don't really drink anymore, so that's kind of like a moot point. So like, I don't do that. But what is something like a habit? You know, I don't have a problem with alcohol, but it was like maybe I kind of began to have like a questionable relationship with alcohol. So I just say, you know what? I'm going to give it up for lunch as a way of checking myself. Maybe for you, that's social media. Maybe for you, that's something else. It's a bad habit that you just got to like, okay. And final, the fourth question, are there habits I can take on to help me experience Jesus more deeply? All right. This is a part of the fast thing that kind of speaks to what Jesus was critiquing from Isaiah 58. It's not just that you do the practice of doing something. I want to experience Jesus and being shaped to be like him. So like so for Lent last year, what I did is I decided, I think I got this from Peter. I end each day and I make a list of 10 things I was grateful for. And the qualification was I could not repeat something. Now, you can be like, I'm grateful for my friends. But the problem is that you then can't thank God for your friends again. <laughs> So you need to be specific. Like I found the trick was you have to be specific. Jesus, I'm grateful for, you know, whoever, John, for this conversation that we had. Because then if I have another conversation, I'd be grateful for that one. It, it was just a way, it was a way to trick me into being, I want to be grateful. I want to end the day. So what is a practice that I can then say, here's 10 things after the season of Lent. That's 470 things that I've then thanked God for. I've been grateful for. So I'm just saying there's simple things we can kind of do to take on, but the primary purpose, just to bring us to a close here, and we'll turn to questions. How do we experience renewal in God's purposes for us? It's through Jesus. I don't care what your practices are. I mean, unless they're hurting you, like whatever. You know, I'm just thinking like the whip or whatever. You know, don't, don't do that. Whatever it is that you're doing, how... The purpose of it is so that you experience the presence of Jesus. The practice, whatever. The purpose is so that you experience renewal in Jesus. That is the point of Jesus' presence. So let's pray. God, as we turn to your word, I pray that as we experience your presence, 
with us, we would be filled with faith. You want us to know you. And you want us to experience renewal in you. And by your word, would you guide us to know you more deeply? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.